0: There had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature.
1: Are you ready to get your world rocked? Ready! Are you ready to get your mind blown?
2: Do it! One, two, three, four!
3: Get out your muskets. It's time for the annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot.
1: I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DiRigatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. Greg and I named the year's most disappointing albums, and we'll hear some turkeys from listeners at home. Then Lady Gaga is back with art pop. But is it more style than substance? That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to
3: Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
4: Another runner in the night Blinded by the light Wrapped up like a of Another runner in the night
1: That is Manfred Mann's Earth Band, famously covering Blinded by the Light by Greg's hero, Bruce Springsteen, (laughs) uh, features an often misunderstood line of lyric. If you want to go on the web and look up what the words really are, there are plenty of places to do that. There are huge commercial websites out there, some making a lot of money, that legally license lyrics and they're available for you to look up but there are other big sites out there some of them making buku bucks that are just sticking these up unlicensed these lyrics among these would be lyrics translate lyrics mania and rap genius one of the most popular lyric sites on the web just got an infusion of 15 million dollars in venture capital now when an artist writes a song and copyrights it the music and the lyrics are both protected. Sometimes they sell that copyright to a music publisher who is supposed to collect on their behalf whenever somebody covers the song or whenever somebody uses the lyrics, right? You and I have written books, and if we quote more than the fair use amount of lyrics, we have to pay for the right to do so. Now the National Music Publishers Association is sending takedown orders to these big commercial lyric websites that are not properly paying for licensing the lyrics they're using. Many people think this is a first step before filing lawsuits on these issues, much like the Recording Industry Association of America, sued big file-sharing sites and individual users eventually years ago. It has to be said that a lot of big artists, Bob Dylan, U2, Paul Simon, the Flaming Lips, put their lyrics and moss on their own websites. They're eager for fans to know what they're singing about. However, if they've sold those lyrics to a music publishing company they arguably could be having to pay for their right to quote their own words, all right? So it's an interesting new issue. We've always talked about copyright on the net in terms of downloading music. Now we're getting to the issue of words. Yeah, Jim, I'd like to hear from our listeners on how they look up lyrics on the Internet. Give us a call
3: on this issue at 888-859-1800. Don't stop till you get enough from Michael Jackson. That is exactly what is happening to the Michael Jackson estate. They just keep growing and growing each year. Michael Jackson has been dead since 2009, but he is now the most lucrative musical brand in today's live entertainment business. This according to a in-depth report from Billboard magazine looking at this partnership between the Jackson estate and Cirque du Soleil. Michael was a big fan of that Montreal troupe when he was alive, and the relationship continues after his death. This Michael Jackson, The Immortal World Tour, which is basically a a concert-like program combining the visuals, dance, and acrobatics of the Cirque du Soleil with music performed by a band. That has become the number nine top-grossing tour of all time. We're talking about $325 million from 407 shows, drawing 2.9 million concertgoers, paying anywhere from 50 bucks to 250 bucks per ticket. There's also a permanent Las Vegas theater production called Michael Jackson 1 that Cirque du Soleil is also behind. That started in May at this uh, refurbished 1,800-seat theater in Vegas, and it has been playing to about 93% occupancy, 10 shows per week since then. So, I can only imagine, Jim, how big these shows would be if Jackson was actually alive. He's not even participating in this, and yet his uh, name continues to sell out. His uh, longtime lawyer, John Branca, said the one and immortal shows represent a true Michael experience, the next best thing to seeing him alive. It reminds me of uh, Colonel Tom Parker after uh, Elvis Presley died, saying, What's going to happen now, Colonel? Well, I'm just going to keep right on managing Elvis Presley. But this is the latest example of how, in pop music, at least, death is the best career move. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and Thanksgiving is right around the corner, Jim, and that can only mean one thing as far as Sound Opinions is concerned, the annual turkey shoot. Now, uh, we want to clarify exactly what we're doing here. When people hear turkey shoot, some of them think you're talking about the worst albums of the year so far. That's really not what we're talking about here. It's easy to pick on those really bad, bad records. You just know ahead of time they were going to be bad. They were bad What's the point of bringing that up again? And there's you know, so many of them. Uh, absolutely. There's tons of candidates here. But these are albums that we were genuinely looking forward to hearing, thinking that they were going to be great by artists who had given us a lot of pleasure in the past but disappointed us greatly. These are the records that fell so far short of the mark that they, in fact, have become turkeys as far as we're concerned.
1: Oh, it's an idea that we took from Robert Criscow, who used to do it every year in The Village Voice. But everybody has turkeys on their list and thinks about it at this time of year. We're going to hear from some listeners later. Who are going to suggest some of their turkeys? But you get to go first, Greg. So, what's first in your target?
3: Well, this artist uh, has disappointed me. The main reason being not only the fact that he made many fine albums in the early part of his career that I still value, but when I, ever I see him in performance, I'm consistently blown away by the large number of hits he's had and how well he delivers them in a concert setting. I just saw Jay-Z, and this is the artist I'm talking about, over the summer on tour with Justin Timberlake. It was a fantastic tour from Jay-Z's standpoint. I mean, the guy still delivers on stage. But on studio album, mm, not so much. This Magna Carta holy grail record is a complete turkey the most brain power that he expended on this album i think was towards the marketing campaign he got a deal with a smartphone company they handed him five million dollars to release the album as a cell phone application Uh, some people may remember that three minute Primetime TV ad with Jay-Z chilling out with his pals in his corner suite. There was Rick Rubin was there and Pharrell Williams and Swizz Beats and Timbaland. You know, great marketing program. But then when you actually listen to the music, not so good. We need to write new rules, Jay-Z was telling his pals in that corner suite. How about writing some better rhymes, Jay-Z? I mean, what we're talking about on this record, the flow so casual as usual, he sounds like he's tossing off his best rhymes. But here, they really do sound tossed off because he's name-checking and product-plugging in almost every song It becomes so apparent that he doesn't really have anything to say It's like some Wall Street broker checking off his stock portfolio Look what I've acquired Look at these wonderful things I have
5: uh, I just want a Picasso In my casa No, my castle I'm a hussar, No, I'm a am never satisfied, cannot my hustle I want a Rocco No, I want a brothel No, I want a wife the ugly like a prostitute Make love on the million In the dirty hotel With the fan on the ceiling
3: uh, When you dedicate an entire song To a fashion designer named Tom Ford You know you're kind of reaching <laughs> deep For material Jay-Z really doesn't have anything To talk about in his rap So he's reduced to talking about his rich pals That makes for an incredibly uninteresting album well, I'm with you And I, I wear
1: nothing but Tom Ford <laughs>
5: Coming up Coming down Ride clean Fix your head bad bitch. H-Town, keep it trill, y'all know y'all can fuck around, Paris where we been, pop my Parisian, it's whole time and no time, it's both all y'all season, they those and Burgundies. flush out a Riesling, when hoes out, them hoes out, y'all put y'all weaves in and clap for a little thing with his rapping arrows. Blow a stack for your goodness with your trapping in there. all my euros on tops and with clothes. I party with weirdos. Get ho, get ho. Don't pop Molly, I rock. Right. Time for international, bring back the concord. Numbers don't lie, check the scoreboard. Time for
3: That's a little bit of Tom
1: Ford from uh, Jay-Z's turkey of an album, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. Jim, what's your first turkey of the year? Well, I have to go to Justin Timberlake, Greg, because he gave us not one turkey, but two turkeys, Mm. the 2020 experience and the 2020 experience, two of two. You know, some people who don't listen to the show a lot maybe haven't heard me talk in the past about how good Justin Timberlake is when he is good. I will never forget seeing the quiet pre-launch of his first solo album. He came to Chicago, played the House of Blues. I remember you were at another show that night. You didn't see it. Blew my mind. He was on stage with a big band of like 20 people, full horn section. This guy has the sort of charisma and the sort of vocal chops that Frank Sinatra must have had when when the Bobby Soxers first heard him. You know, I mean, just just raw magnetism. And I've liked much of what he's done as a solo artist. You and I both were looking forward to these two albums because we thought we'd lost him to Hollywood. He was going to go and do, you know, billionaire business ventures and be in big movies. We weren't going to hear them make music anymore. Then it's going to be two albums coming. Wow. And they both stink because they are just long overthought out, overproduced, mid- tempo albums you know i said i thought he was going for d'angelo's voodoo and that kind of vibe you said you thought it was a frank ocean's channel orange in either case he failed miserably to hit that kind of genius and instead just gave us a lot of sludge with a handful of really good moments which made it all all the more frustrating something like take back the night speaking of michael jackson it's the best michael jackson song since michael jackson was in his heyday like before thriller right yeah. This was your
4: city You did it all and more Broke every law except for one, babe Attraction Are you ready? I know you feel it Pull you nearer till you feel it again Oh, I wanna do something right But well, we could do something better there Ain't no time like tonight And we ain't trying to save it
1: And yet it's lost in this swamp, this endless (laughs) swamp of songs. I don't even think you could get one good album out of the two 2020 Experience discs. You could get a good EP, and that would have been a really good EP. You know, it's like, JT, man, what happened? But but hear it for yourself. Here's amnesia from the 2020 experience, two of two.
4: Keeps coming closer. I don't, but she thinks I know her. Beautiful smile with those sad eyes. That was my type amnesia that's over. I can see you breathing, girl, it's colder. I can see you need me, but I don't care. My whole memory of being love gone so far from me, girl it's not fair, I can feel it almost starts to
1: Such promise young Justin once had, and now he gives us a big turducken. That was amnesia from Justin Timberlake. Greg, what's next in your sights?
3: Jim, I've got to go with Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. He resurrected that name, Nine Inch Nails, doing some really good work on soundtracks like the uh, Social Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, providing a pathway for how an artist should mature into the next phase of his career. By bringing Nine Inch Nails back... He's basically saying, I've got something new to say, or you think he would have something new to say, bringing that name brand back, and I hate to say that, but that seems to be what this move was all about. It's a marketing ploy rather than one of artistic imperative. Basically, he's saying on this record, I've really got nothing else to say. I'm not sure what to say. I am just a copy of a copy of a copy
2: Everything I say has come
3: well, Trent, it sure sounds like it on uh, Hesitation Marks. This whole idea of the quieter, self-doubting, more questioning Trent Reznor in midlife— you know, I maybe could buy that in a solo context, but with Nine Inch Nails, you're perhaps expecting something different, not this kind of drab, kind of faceless type of record that he's made here. The one track that kind of I keep going back to when I think, what was he up to? All time low. Maybe he might have spent a little bit more time on some of these lyrics, thinking through what he wanted to say. When you're shouting out a course, that says, hey, everything is not okay, All I can do is agree completely with Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor on that. The Hesitation Marks record did not make the grade this year.
1: That's a little bit from Nine Inch Nails, Hesitation Marks. Uh, I didn't think it was that bad a record. I don't know what you're hearing there, Mr. Cot. Coming up, we'll continue with our annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot by handing the rifle over to you. Then we've got a brand new album to review, the latest from Lady Gaga. That's in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
2: Get
3: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis and we're in the midst of our annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot, the most disappointing albums of the year so far. We want to turn it over to our
1: listeners and let them take aim. First up is Izzy in Carbondale, Illinois. Izzy, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi. Have you got a turkey for us?
6: Yes, I do. Uh, I think Mechanical Bull, the new Kings of Leon album is, <laughs> is maybe the worst one of the year for me. <laughs>
1: uh, oh, Craig and I are going to wrestle with you on that one. I think we can all fight the three of us about who hates it more. Maybe. <laughs> but tell us tell us your reasons for enmity of the Kings of Leon.
6: Well, I have a pretty long history with the Kings of Leon. Growing up in a rural area, I was I was kind of into the sort of like weird back woozy, sort of, no-account hillbilly sort of <laughs> rock music, um, just because I felt a little bit like an outcast. And so when The Kings of Leon, when Youth, Youth and Young Manhood came out, and then Aha! Uh-huh, shake, Heartbreak came out, I was, I was, like, really into that as, like, a 15- or 16-year-old. I think that they've just become such an icon for this sort of, like, Sacker in arena rock it just drives
3: me crazy so listening to that album i was just like oh my god <laughs> you know izzy you and i are kindred spirits on this i i agree a hundred percent with what you just said i think the promise was so great on those first couple of records and the letdown has been so deep ever since then it's just been one disappointment after another let's hear a little bit of mechanical bull from kings of leon
1: As far as truth in advertising goes, it's the best-titled album of the year. Yeah, yeah, Mechanical Bull. Have you s- actually seen them in the big
3: festivals and arenas uh, in that kind of a setting?
6: No, uh, I actually I haven't. My sister has, and yeah. she says it's, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and not in a good way, in the Spital way. Not, not in a good way.
6: <laughs>
1: right, so
3: uh, the subtlety's gone, is, is basically what you're saying. If, they, if these guys ever had any subtlety, it's certainly gone now, right?
6: Yeah, I think I think their first couple albums were at least a lot more introspective. Like they kind of were aware of like who they were, and they were a little bit more self-referential about it. And now it's like they kind of don't care enough even to be self-referential about how how idiotic it kind of sounds.
3: (laughs) You have to wonder if these guys even want to be a band anymore. You know, you read all the stories about how they've had these fussing and feuding uh, deals uh, the last few years, and uh, you know, basically ended tours prematurely. You have to wonder if these guys l- even like being in a band together.
6: No. <laughs>
3: uh, thank you, Izzy. Happy Thanksgiving.
6: Thanks. You too.
3: Our next guest turkey shooter is Patrick from Newmarket, New Hampshire. Patrick, thanks for calling.
7: Thanks for having me.
3: So, Patrick, tell us about the turkey you want to shoot.
7: The turkey I want to shoot is Reflector by Arcade Fire.
3: Ooh, boy. Okay, yeah. so we have uh, a lot of controversy about that record. So you're a big fan, obviously, and uh, three albums in a row that you loved, and this one was The Letdown?
7: Yeah, I, I initially had thought that the combination of James Murphy and Arcade Fire would be pretty cool, but I don't know. I, I tried listening to it a, a couple of times, and I, I just I, it just never clicked with me. You know,
1: that's a good point you raised, Patrick. When it's an artist you've liked in the past, right, and they give you something that you're not liking right away, how many times, how much time, how much of a chance did you give them?
7: Well, it it's interesting. I had I had a similar experience earlier this year with Washtes new album Paracosm and what was probably about a month later I started it really kind of clicked with me a lot more.
1: That can happen, yeah. I
3: have my doubts about my own opinions about the record from that standpoint as well because there's a lot of music there. It's basically a double album, right? Um so you're yeah. wondering if if some of that's going to kick in you know, six months down the road, the magic key will unlock the door. I mean, was it a surprise to you the direction they went in with uh, with Murphy?
7: Well, you know, when I heard that they were going to be with James Murphy, I had kind of thought that they were going to make his departure, but it kind of sounded different than I expected. It just sounds like there's a lot of it's, it's a lot of clashing. There's a lot of sounds going on at the same time, and I have a really hard time kind of getting into it. You and I
3: All right, Patrick, Arcade Fire, one of the turkeys of the year. Thanks so much for calling.
7: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, Greg, let's take one more call. We have Mike in Chicago on the line. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good, I'm doing good. Have you got a turkey you want to slay?
0: It's Boards of Canada, Tomorrow's Harvest.
1: Well, why did they let you down so much, well, Mike?
0: Well, they, they let me down in a way they, they started off kind of in the mid-'90s, along with the European electronic bands like Daft Punk and Air. And some of those bands just made their best music for me around that time frame in the early 2000s and boards of canada this year came out with its fourth studio album and they had a very elaborate promo rollout similar to daft punks but a little bit less wattage Mm -hmm. and it got me so excited for you know a record that i had just their first three records i had just been so in love with i mean to the point of just listening over and over and over when this record tomorrow's harvest came out it just felt like i'm going to make kind of a lowbrow comparison but um the character Stifler from American Pie I remember reading a review on American Pie like 4 or 5 or 8 or whatever that it just felt like Stifler was playing Stifler like it was a character (laughs) playing itself
1: over and over a cliche one of the things in Roger Ebert's little rule book, a famous piece he wrote about critics, is uh, that, that you, we should never be swayed by the pre-release hype. The trailer for the movie, the hype for the music. Are you sure that that isn't what knocked this out for you, or do you think the music no, is just that was, bit?
0: No, it was not really. I mean, that, that made it worse, possibly. Oh. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's almost like it's, it's a not you, it's me. <laughs> like, maybe I grew up. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's just way too much music out there now, and I'm I'm used to being monogamous in the 90s and early 2000s and now it's just kind of hedonism and i can't really fall
1: in love anymore
3: you're going through your own midlife crisis there mike is that what you're saying okay boards of canada is paying the price let's hear a bit of boards of canada Of Canada with tomorrow's harvest, a bummer. After three stellar albums, according to you, Mike, right? Uh, yep. This is, this is the big letdown. Uh, it is. Have you changed, or has the band changed? I think that is the existential ah, question we, we, we are faced
1: with.
0: We it apart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for those thoughts, Mike, and happy Thanksgiving. No problem, you guys
0: too.
1: Some good insights there, Greg, from all of our listeners. But now it's my turn to take aim at some more turkeys, and I'm eager to do so. People are going to wonder because I'm doing a flip-flop here. When we reviewed My Bloody Valentine's MBV earlier in the year, I was not nearly as harsh on it as I'm going to be now. I teach reviewing the arts. I teach criticism. I always tell the students, never trust a critic who doesn't on occasion double back on his or herself, right? We live with this music and it either grows in our admiration sometimes or we like it less, you know, famously, you know, with REM and different artists, I've loved it at First, because they've always been one of my favorites, and I'm overly enthusiastic to get new product. And that's never been the case more than with My Bloody Valentine. I mean, they made, you and I both agree, one of the most important records of the last 25 years with Loveless in 1991 and then they disappeared right Mm -hmm. it was decades we never thought we were gonna get new music from my bloody valentine and then here came this music all right it was an album of thirds part of it was kind of blatantly nostalgic picking up where loveless left off part of it was wildly experimental and then there was just some stuff in the middle that was like what are you doing okay I realized how little this album grew for me when I actually realized I'd forgotten it. Some of the kids in, in one of my classes said, hey, you know, were you at the My Bloody Valentine's show? They came and they toured behind this album. I said, no, you know, I saw the last one and, and you know, there was no new music. I didn't think there'd be mu- new music this time. They said, well, they had that new album. <laughs> Earlier in the year, I'd completely even forgotten that they had the new album, so I dug it out and I've listened again. And I was just way too—I was just too happy to have new My Bloody Valentine. It's a bad record. It doesn't forward any of the incredible, groundbreaking innovations they made in their time. And I went back to the review I'd written and I realized, you know, I said this: aside from Loveless, they never made any other good albums. They, there was a lot of music in their discography. It took them a long time. To get to Loveless, why should we have expected for them to go any further after Loveless? They're a band that made one of the best albums of all time, but doesn't have much other good music. I mean, just listen to this one, If I Am, by My Bloody Valentine.
3: if I am from My Bloody Valentine, which, uh, Jim, uh, you call that a turkey, the MBV record. I've got to say, I just saw them live a few days ago, and uh, that record has actually grown in my estimation. The stuff that they played from that record fit in really well with the earlier material. So the exact
1: uh, opposite of me.
3: Yeah, six months later, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of that record than I was when it originally came out. Not so with this uh, next record I want to talk about is one of my turkeys of the year. I was relatively kind to Kanye West Yeezus when it came out. I wasn't completely sold on it, but I loved the attempt that he was making. But the more I've listened to it, the less I like it. It was a missed opportunity from Kanye and, and the worst record of his career so far now. The whole idea of attacking some of these ideas you know the ruthless editing of the music you know the, the punky in your face transgressive approach you know he's making a harsh hard sounding dissonant record by design amplifying the obsessions that he's had all along, race, class, sex, especially of the interracial variety, and how they speak to these bigger issues of control and freedom. Okay, so far, so good. But the language that he's using to address these topics, it's not in a political, wider consciousness sense. It all comes back to Kanye. It's that guy bum-rushing the stage and taking the microphone away from Taylor Swift all over again. It's all about me. How is this affecting me? And this these are racially offensive jokes in uh, the track I'm in it.
5: That's
2: right, I'm in it. <laughs> I'm in it. <laughs> way, that right. Hey, I'm boy,
3: That's
5: right, I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I'm in it. <laughs> right, I'm in
3: it. <laughs> or the humor that he's using, the misogyny and the casual violence that is creeping up consistently in these tracks. He's a better thinker than that. And if this is how he really feels, it's hugely disappointing to me. When I look at records uh, in a similar vein that came out before this by groups like Death Grips and then Saul Williams, mm. uh, who's made several albums in this vein, they're much better in addressing these kind of issues than Kanye West. So as time has gone by, Kanye West's Jesus has become a great disappointment to me, none more so than this particular track, uh, Blood on the Leaves, where he wastes a sample of Nina Simone's version of one of the most tragic, politically charged songs of all time, Strange Fruit, this politically charged anthem describing the lynchings in the South in the first half of the 20th century, the strange fruit hanging from the trees. It, It has become one of the great protest songs of all time. And here, in Blood on the Leaves, Kanye is using it as the backdrop for this tawdry tale of a guy juggling his wife and his mistress at a basketball game. Come on, Kanye, you're better than that.
5: $2,000 bag with no cash in your purse. Now you're sitting courtside you right on the other side. Gotta keep them separated. I call that apartheid. Then she said she pregnated. That's the night you heart died. Then you gotta go into your girl and report that. Main reason cause your pastor said you can't abort that. Now your driver said that new bitch you can't afford that. All that Cocaine on the table, you can't snort that That going to that, all that money that the court got On and on the alimony, uh Yeah, yeah, she got you, homie, yeah Till death, but do you part, uh Unholy matrimony (laughs)
1: That's a little bit of Kanye West from Yeezus. You know, Greg, there was so much promise, I think, in Kanye West turning to nine-inch nails for the sonic palette. But as I said when we reviewed it, the lyrics are are just a complete waste. The final uh, turkey I'm going to give people is From the Flaming Lips, The Terror. Now, I was the world's biggest Flaming Lips fan. I wrote their biography, Staring at Sound. They are one of the most important bands of my generation. You know, right up there with Nirvana, gave us seven masterpieces, from In a Priest-Driven Ambulance all the way through Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. And yet the terror comes down, and it's sold to us as the Flaming Lips go dark. After all those years of singing Happy Birthday on stage and Wayne Coyne, the band leader, getting in the big gerbil Ball and rolling over people's heads and confetti guns. They're now gonna embrace hopelessness, is what Wayne said. They're gonna go dark. Yeah. As Someone who remembers that the Flaming Lips existed before the soft bullet and goes way back with them to the 80s. They have done dark music in the past, despairing, dark, depressing music. I'm not saying he has to be Mr. Sunshine. I'm tired of the P.T. Barnum Act. I'm tired of you know him being Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters leader, okay? They have given us great dark music in the past, but this music is just snail slow as far as the rhythms go. Completely lacking in melody, and worst of all, void of anything at all to say in the lyrics. There are no new sonic ideas here, and no new intellectual ideas. I don't think the Flaming Lips are the Flaming Lips anymore, and it breaks my heart to say it. <laughs>
3: a little bit of the flaming lips, the terror which uh, Jim DeRogatis rates as one of his turkeys of the
1: year. And Jim, I would have to agree, a huge disappointment here at Sound Opinions. Well, for 15 years, we would have never not considered reviewing a Flaming Lips record on this, and we we, we couldn't even bring ourselves to do it before now.
3: But as usual, we want our listeners to chime in, Jim. We want to hear from you. You can share your vote for the biggest flop of the year at 888-859-1800. Up next, after a quick break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we get back to some better music. Jim's going to add a track to the Desert Island
8: Jukebox.
4: my face. the the than
3: welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis and that's uh, Lady Gaga from the new album Art Pop a track called Aura. Lady Gaga, 27-year-old artist out of New York City, really doesn't need an introduction. This is her third studio album. Her first in 2008 was presciently titled The Fame. She has gone on to sell well over 20 million records Worldwide, You know, you can tick off the hits, Just Dance, Poker Face, Bad Romance, Telephone, Born This Way, Edge of Glory, big hits all around the world. Noted as much for the marketing machine she has become as well as her music with a twist. She's not your typical pop diva. She wants to play it anti-glamour anti-diva in a lot of the ways that she's marketing herself. A very interesting artist. So, here she is calling an album Art Pop, what she got in store for us. Let's play a track from it first. It's called Manicure from Lady Gaga on Sound Opinions. (laughs)
1: was Lady Gaga with Manicure from Art Pop, her third studio album. You know, Greg, it's a it's a troubling thing, a troubling challenge that Stephanie Germanata has given us here. Calling the album Art Pop and appearing uh, as a statue of herself in a very arty photo on the cover, and all the stuff she's done to launch this—the flying dress and all that other stuff. Right? You know, she is more brazenly saying, "I am making music that is capital A Art" than anybody has since the Velvet Underground put Warhol's banana on the cover of their first album. Right? And yet, ironically, the only the only way you can appreciate this album is if you turn your brain off, chemically or or any other way you can, because I do think this is a much better record than Born This Way, which really was weighed down by those awful hair metal ballads. Uh, I, I just thought that was a mess after the fame, her last album in 2011. Uh, this is a better record musically than that. There are still two hair metal ballads at the end of this record. That is not a style that suits her. She should forget about it. But the groovy t- are groovier, okay? <laughs> I, I like aura, I like Venus, I like sex dreams, I like manicure. Then she has asked us to think about this, and not only to think about it, but to think about it as capital A art, and you begin to listen to the lyrics, and they are some of the most pandering, way below anybody with a brain cell or two in their heads, nonsense that I've ever heard. This is not art pop, this is the worst kind of commercial pop. The, the sexual pandering in particular, I think, recently is a nadir with that song do what you want it's a duet with r Kelly she has been so out front and outspoken about gay rights and female self-empowerment and her concern for her fans the little monsters and here she is partnering with this man who has a very troublesome history back the club
5: taking shots getting out.
1: I don't know what she's talking about. I don't know why she bothered to put lyrics on this record at all. If you can just block that out, you can really enjoy the music. And so for that, I give it a burn it. Uh, But just don't think about it.
3: Jim, this could have been a turkey of the year for me, too, because I had such high hopes for this artist and for this record, especially when you're calling it art pop. You immediately get these ideas of, you know, wow, it could be, you know, it could be Roxy Music, it could be Bjork, it could be Kate Bush. Is it going to be in that world where she sort of reinvents it? I always saw the best side of her as this complicated, hit-making weirdo, you know? Just a little left of center. But here, what is so disturbing to me about this record the music is relatively catchy but it's so tame you know she talks about taking all these chances but she's not really taking any chances at all on this record i like that track aura that we played i love the the flamenco guitar that opens it up and that sort of noir movie atmosphere that she applies there there's some philly soul in that track called fashion applause i kind of dig those jittery synthesizers in there Some of the stuff works, but a lot of it is very conventional EDM-style, electronic dance music-style electro-pop. She's employing these big-name producers in the EDM scene, Zed and Hugo Leclerc and DJ White Shadow. But they're not doing anything outside of the norm. Very conventional style music. Even the rap tracks. He's got T.I. and Too Short and Twista. And collectively, on Jewels and Drugs, it might be the worst track of their entire careers. You know? It's one of the worst hip hop tracks I've heard this year. Disappointing to me, this is an artist that's built her career on sort of twisting the formula, and she's not doing a whole lot of formula twisting here. She's playing it by the book, and as a result, she sounds like she's competing with the Katy Perrys of the world for Chart Space instead of reinventing the art pop wheel, which is what you'd hope this record would be. So as a result, it's a trash it for me.
8: I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched.
2: Remember, we were shipwrecked together.
3: As often as possible on this show, we like to take a trip to the Desert Island jukebox and pop a
1: quarter to play a song we cannot live without. Jim, what do you got for us? Greg, I have a a great track, a timeless track, that brings together two of the most important female groups of the 90s, and Vogue. And Salt and Pepper. Why was I thinking of this? You know, my wife on the weekend always has VH1 on and they're always doing that. They're always flashing back to the 90s, right? And there, there were a million promos for the TLC movie, right, that they just did. And I was just thinking, God, there were better bands led by young women in the 90s and in the late 80s. Salt and Pepper, of course, was one of the most important female groups in hip-hop. They were they were just inspiring in every way. And En Vogue, while it was manufactured, a factory made pop band of four talented women, I think that they really did some great stuff on 1990's Born to Sing and 92's Funky Divas. But they came together for this track, What a Man, with En Vogue doing the backing vocals and Salt and Peppa, the rappers. I don't know if Spinderella, the DJ, was involved, hmm. but that's the best DJ name ever. Now, I've been listening to this single, since it came out in 1993. You know, and of course, it's based on a much older tune. There's a little bit of a sample of the 1968 Stax hit by Linda Lindell in there, What a Man. The first verse tells us Salt and Pepper are obsessing about an ideal boyfriend who's made a big difference in their world, the perfect giving ideal boyfriend who's you know even giving back rubs you know he's always <laughs> there he's smooth like lotion what more could you want from a man and then the wise cracking and free-flowing salt and pepper verses yield to those just perfect en vogue choruses this is just a perfect r&b soul pop hit what a man by salt and pepper with en vogue on sound opinions i want to take a
5: minute or two and give much respect in my world. And although most men are hoesies, he throws on the down low because I never heard about him with another girl. But I don't sweat it because it's just pathetic to let it get me involved in that he said, she said crowd. I know that ain't nobody perfect. I give props to those who deserve it and believe me, y'all, he's worth it. So here's to the future because we got through the past. I finally found somebody that could make me laugh. (laughs) You so crazy. I think I want to have your baby.
1: jam jamming with En Vogue on What a Man from 1993, my Desert Island jukebox pick. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we're going to look at the music of the late rock legend Lou Reed. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Anthony Martinez, and our intern Jake Smith. And I want to make sure everybody out there knows that Rutgers University in New Jersey registration is open for a class on the theology of Bruce Springsteen, looking at 40 years of his lyrics and the many biblical allusions therein.
3: On sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
6: New messages.
9: Yeah, this is Nick. I've been in the music business since I was 15 years old, and I'm 54. I must say, parquet court. I think they should save their money from their geeks and start taking music lessons. I found it highly offensive. The bragging was better than their playing. They had suits.
2: i got a gold that'll wreck time, gold that can die by taking prints home to search their minds. Threat counts high and commissions high, hourly rates high, minute of your time. Forget about it. I didn't come here to train or teach the world things. To find paradise or cure it. We'll days of high, threat counts and staircases
9: high. My name is Mike, I'm from Bloomington, Indiana. I was listening to the program today on WHB. And uh, this band you had, the Knights of the Round Turntable, they were kind of cool. Uh, when, I first, when I first heard the opening licks, it reminded me a little bit of a, of a cover song uh, from Bo Diddley by the Gants Roadrunner. And I'm not saying anything, I'm not accusing anybody. I just think it's kind of interesting that uh, the way this the way music turns. Anyway, thanks a lot, guys. Keep up the good work.
8: Hey, Sound Opinions, this is Randy in Portland, Oregon, and I've got a story to go along with your great uh, analysis of Ben Morrison's Astral Weeks. In 1986, uh, I was a 22-year-old kid from Atlanta having lunch with Bono, and all you need to know, that's a whole story in itself, all you need to know about that story is we both had tuna melts. And I was deep getting into the Van Morrison back catalogue. And this is when "Unforgettable Fire was becoming the biggest record on the planet and U2 was wide awake in America. And I said, Bono, you know, I, I realize what your inspiration is for this record and for this kind of music. It's Van Morrison's Astral Weeks and he just sort of turned to me and put his finger over his lips to say shh and gave me a wink. And, uh, and then we launched into a big discussion about the Irish Muse, and he sort of explained to me that in Ireland, whether it's James Joyce or Van Morrison, or there's this belief that there's this river of creativity, this sort of stream of consciousness, as if you will, that flows, and you just have to step into it and let it take you away. And I think that captures the flow of Astral Weeks as well as U2's music in the 80s and so much great music that comes out of folks that just sort of tap into this moment and for me it was sort of an opportunity to see the link between Van Morrison and U2 and so many other great forms of music that just step into that flow and let it go so I uh, really enjoyed the deep album analysis, keep it up We'll stay tuned in
6: Down
5: with a child-like vision sleeping into view. The click and clacking of a high heel shoe.
9: Ford and Fitzroy, Madam Joy. Hi, my name is Trevor Adams. I'm calling from Grand Junction, Colorado. So I wanted to comment on your review of Arcade Fire's Reflector. I agreed with a lot of what you had to say. I definitely agree that it's too long, like almost every double album of all time, of course. But I was really surprised. Well, I was, I was happy that one of you mentioned that the, the drummer and the bassist are more front, and uh, what they're doing on this record is really great. So I was glad to hear you say that. I was surprised that the other one of you said that, uh, rhythmically, this album is less interesting than their other albums. I was super surprised you say that because what's really grabbed me is that it's so interesting rhythmically and i think the album is exactly what i thought or most of the songs are exactly what i thought they were going to be with james murphy's influence you know obviously his music is extremely rhythm centric and i'm really glad that he brought that to the band there it is thanks guys bye